Welcome to the River City Church podcast and a message by our lead pastor, Jason Powers. Our prayer is that this message would inspire and encourage you, build your faith, and point you to the life-changing love of Jesus. May you enjoy the goodness of God as you follow him today. We are badly broken and we are deeply loved and that shapes us and that informs how we come to the scripture that informs how we worship. That's our hope to get full, to be redeemed and restored. And we've been talking about faith for the last several weeks. We've been looking in Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to be there again today. If you have your Bible, and I hope you do, uh, you can turn that. You can also put your finger at the very beginning in the book of Genesis. Uh, We're going to be looking in two places today. We've been looking at faith, and faith is uh, something of a mystical kind of, uh, it can seem almost like a hoodoo voodoo kind of thing, right? It's hard to get our grasp on it. It, what, What is it? Is it, um, is, it, is it a feeling? Is it, is it a knowledge? Is it just information? How do you know when you have it? What's the vital component of faith? Is it having a bunch of faith? Jesus said, if you have faith like a mustard seed, a, a tiny little bit. But sometimes it doesn't seem that way. So what is it about faith? And we've been looking at that. And we've seen through characters in the Old Testament. The writer of the book of the Hebrews is writing a letter to the Jewish people, to the people of Hebrews. Uh, in the middle part of the first century. And he's talking about their heritage and their history and how it was a heritage of faith. And he's tying this connection. And so that's why we kind of go back to Genesis. We read the stories in context. We see what the writer of the Hebrews says. And we read these stories in context. And so far as we've looked at Abel and we've looked at Enoch and we've looked at Noah and we've looked at Abraham. We've seen kind of the personal and individual implications of faith. We see that it walks with God. It covers every aspect of who we are. It it fleshes out and fills out in our lives. And we saw Abraham last week, how it follows and it persists and it pursues. And it is this, and it is this journey uh, and it's difficult times, but it's this This traveling that we've taken, it's tough, but it's this great and grand adventure. And we've talked so far about how faith is this personal thing. And it is. It is an individual. You have to walk your own journey of faith. And I believe everybody's on a journey of faith, whether you believe in Jesus or not. And if you're walking with us today, and if you're here maybe for the first time, maybe somebody started a watch party and you've tuned into that. Um, I believe that we're all on a journey of faith. And that doesn't mean we all believe the same thing. And I want you to know if you're watching and tuning in, I don't assume that you believe the same thing that I do, and that's okay. That's part of our journey, figuring out, understanding, coming to terms with, and reconciling what faith is and what it is about. But our faith journey, each of our faith journeys is impacted by and impacts other people. No one really stands alone in this world. Even, you know, the kind of the, the, the American ethos, like kind of pulling yourself up by the bootstraps. Um, at some point, someone gave you boots. And that's what it looks like. Everybody's faith, everybody's journey, everybody's place in the world is impacted by someone else. In 1620, a guy named William Brewster got on a boat called the Mayflower and sailed across the ocean. And in November 1620, that boat, the Mayflower, landed at Plymouth Rock, and they got off. And William Brewster is a descendant of mine. He was the pastor in the Plymouth, Plymouth Colony. He's kind of one of the elders in the church. And that guy, because a guy named William Brewster got on a boat in 1620, I'm here. My parents have made decisions. My mother's father was a chaplain in the army, but they decided to settle in San Antonio, Texas, where my father's 
family settled. My father was in the Navy, and when he got out of the Navy, he came back to San Antonio to marry my mother. My parents have been married for almost 47 years this month. I'm here, and I am who I am today as a product of all of those decisions. Every decision, every choice that someone makes impacts someone else. If you are the boss at a job, every time a boss or an employee decides to accept or to tolerate a shortcut, they create a culture at their office. When a boss decides to insist on radical honesty and respect, they create a culture in their business. The culture that we, the, the way that Natalie and I raise our kids, we're creating a culture. When we choose to be kind to our neighbors, we're creating culture. Everything that we do impacts. Our past and our present shape our future. Now, this is very important that you hear me say this. We're not victims of our past. We're not victims of our present, but they still shape us. Our past and our present kind of define and give shape to the things that we have to overcome. The way, that, the, the way that our family was, the way that our financial situation, we may have a longer road to hoe or we may have a shorter road, but where we come from and who we are impacts us, shapes us, shapes our culture, how we, how we see our gifts, the things that we have to overcome. And this is important as we understand kind of this book of Hebrews. As we read Hebrews chapter 11, as we identify kind of our own unique individual journey of faith, the Hebrew people wouldn't have read the book of Hebrews. In fact, they wouldn't have read what, what we call the Old Testament, what they called like the Bible. They wouldn't have read that as an individual story of faith at all. They would have thought about the stories that we've been reading. They would have thought about them as our story. It's our story as the Hebrew people. It's not my story. It's our story. In the same way, River City Church is not my story. It is our story. It's the story of who we are, who we are becoming. And the writer to the Hebrews is being very deliberate and intentional, saying the story of the Hebrew people all points to Jesus, and it is all about faith. It is all about faith in Jesus. And so he picks up the story today in Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse 20. I'm going to read kind of this passage, and we're going to go back and unpack it. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 20. By faith, now this is the important thing, by faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. There's that idea. In faith, Isaac blessed. Verse 21, by faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed his sons, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshiped as he leaned on the top of his staff. By faith, Jacob blessed and he worshiped. By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions concerning the burial of his bone. See, we saw last week that Abraham's journey began with a promise from God to bless him. God promised Abraham, if you go, I will bless you and I will make you a blessing. And what we're seeing is God's promise and God's blessing didn't end with Abraham. In fact, this promise and this blessing of God was Abraham's legacy. And what we see today, the Israelites called the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. These are the fathers of the Hebrew people, the fathers of national Israel. And what we see is Abraham's legacy was this promise. It was faith. It was a gift. And it was passed down. See, that's what happens. As Abraham learned to walk this journey of faith with God, it shaped his kids and his grandkids and his great-grandkids and the whole nation. Faith does that. Faith shapes generations. 
Faith doesn't shape our lives, it shapes generations. Abraham to the Jewish people would have been like George Washington. They would have told, the Hebrew people told the story of Abraham stepping out and following God like we tell the story of George Washington in Valley Forge or at Delaware. They would have told the story of Jacob camping in the wilderness in the desert the same way that we would have talked about Abraham Lincoln at Gettysburg with his speech freeing the slaves. They would have talked about Joseph as a slave becoming the prime minister in Egypt as we talk about Neil Armstrong going to the moon. But what we find in the book of Galatians is that Abraham's story isn't just for the Jewish people. In Galatians chapter three, starting verse seven, Paul makes it very clear. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. See, that's the big story. When God made a promise to Abraham that all the nations of the world would be this, all people, he meant Jews and Gentiles. So it's this faith that connects us to the story of God. When we read that, when we say that faith shapes the generations, we're talking about us. Abraham's faith and Isaac's faith and Jacob's faith. That's why that faith, that's why these stories are told here so they can help impact us and shape. But how does that work? How are generations shaped? And how do we live into that today? How do we see the story that Abraham and Isaac and Jacob lived and how do we live into that today? We see first in verse 20, and then we're going to go back to the book of Genesis. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. Isaac was Abraham's son. We saw Isaac was the one that God told Abraham to take Isaac up the mountain and sacrifice him. At the last minute, God said, nope, I'm not that kind of God. I'm not the kind of God that wants you to sacrifice your children. That's not what I do. Other gods do that. I, I do a different thing. And so Isaac was spared. And so Isaac saw Abraham's faith up close and personal. And he walked in it and he lived in it. But then Isaac grew up and had sons of his own. And whatever we can say, you know, I find comfort in these stories. And this isn't really the sermon today. But I find in the story of Isaac comfort for our faith journey because Isaac was a terrible father. He played favorites. He preferred his older son. He had two sons. His oldest son was named Esau. His youngest son was named Jacob. And Jacob was, um, what's the vernacular? A mama's boy. Mama loved Jacob. But Isaac loved Esau. Esau was a man's man. He said he was hairy, right? He came out of the womb as, as hairy. And as the older son, Esau was entitled to the birthright, entitled to the blessing. But Esau didn't seem to care much for that. And he, so he traded away his birthright for, for, uh, for stew. And as Isaac is about ready to die, we're in Genesis chapter 27. As Isaac is about ready to die, it's time for the blessing. So he tells his oldest son, Esau, the hunter, he says, Esau, I want you to go out and I want you to kill me. You, you know, I want you to go hunting and then I want you to come back. And when you come back, I'm going to, I'm going to bless you. He says, okay. So while Esau goes off hunting, um, Isaac's wife tells Jacob, hey, let's trick your old man. Puts goat skins on him so he's hairy, cooks a pot of stew for him, sends Jacob, the younger one, the tricky one, right? Kind of... Jacob's a shady character. There's, there's just no way we're in. He's a shady character. Sends Jacob in to his dad. And we come to verse 27 in chapter 27. So he went to him. Isaac goes to Jacob and he kisses him. And when Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, he blessed him. So this is an important thing, right? In the same way that God blessed Abraham, Isaac is, Isaac is now, Abraham blessed Isaac and Isaac is now blessing Jacob. So he went and he blessed him. He said, ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. He thinks he's blessing Esau. Now he blesses them. May God give you heaven's dew and the earth's richness and abundance of grain and new wine. This is a good blessing, right? May you have prosperity. May the nations serve you and the people bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers 
And may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you, now listen to this, may those who curse you be cursed and those who bless you be blessed. This is the promise that God made to Abraham. He's passing this blessing down as a legacy. God said, whoever blesses you, I'll bless. Whoever curses you, I'll curse. So Isaac would have heard Abraham bless that, say that. Now Jacob is hearing Isaac say it. And after Isaac finished blessing him and Jacob had scarcely left his father's presence, his brother Esau came in from hunting. So here we have Jacob tricking Isaac. Now Esau comes in. Now you can imagine Esau's gonna be mad. Esau, it's the blessing. You heard what he just got, right? The blessing would rightfully have been Esau's. So now the question becomes, what's Isaac gonna do? Take backsies? Oh, sorry. Oh, I meant Esau. Yeah, I meant, I meant that to come for you. So we skip down to verse 33. Esau walks in and says, I'm here. I brought your stew. I'm here. I've got to go. And Isaac's like, wait a minute. I just, whatever. In verse 33, Isaac trembled violently and said, who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? I ate it just before you came and I blessed him. Listen, and indeed he will be blessed. And when Esau heard his father's words, he burst out with a loud and bitter cry and said to his father, bless me, me too, my father. But he said, your brother came deceitfully and took your blessing. Now, what Isaac doesn't say is Jacob did a good thing. Isaac isn't saying Jacob is right in all this. What he said was he came and he got the blessing. My brain, it's so easy for me to just think, well, we'll just tell him the same thing. Well, just give, just give the blessed to Isaac doesn't see blessing that way. Isaac sees it as something different. See, faith sees God's hand in blessing. It seems like it would be easy to just walk around the world and just go, hey, blessings to you and blessings to you and blessings to you and blessings to you. Isaac believes something different. Isaac knew the blessing came from God to Abraham to him and now to Jacob. He doesn't see that it's just his to do with whatever he wants. Isaac sees himself as the messenger. And see, this is the faith part. Faith believes that God is actually active and working in this world. And faith believes that God wants to do good things. That's what we believe when we say that Jesus said in Matthew chapter four, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's what it means. That God's hand of blessing is at work here. And so we want to be a part of that and we want to see it and we want to see how that takes shape. But it's not just random and it's not haphazard. And also we're not God. So the faith part looks around and says, what is God doing here? Where he sees brokenness, he says, I think God wants to heal that. What does that look like? Does he want to restore a relationship? We can speak that. Do we say God wants to bring healing? We can speak that. We can use our words in the same way that Isaac did and put them on people. Now, here's what this looks like. When I was young, I went to a vacation Bible school. We're going to have our, v, our virtual VBS. You need to sign your kids up for that. You need to be a part of that. You need to do that. You need to, you know, if you've got cousins or whatever that need to come over, you need to do that because it's important. And here's why. I went to a VBS when I was young, five, six years old at this, at a little Baptist church in San Antonio. And the pastor's wife, her name was, I think her name was Joyce Kendrick. She came to my mom afterward and said, your son can pray. I just want you to know that I see something special. I, can, I was like five or six. I, I was probably faking it at the time. It was all right. I, I, I don't know. It was, it was whatever like that. But I grew up hearing that story. I grew up with my mom telling me that story. Someone in a position of power saw something in you. And it helped me see that in myself. 
Is that why I'm here today? I, I don't know, probably not. Maybe. What do you speak to your kids, random, general, or do you, when you see your kids doing something spectacular, do you look at them and say, when you serve people, that makes a difference. That's my youngest daughter, Madison. She's a gifted servant. She finds ways to help people and it's powerful. And we speak that to her. We tell her specifically and uniquely what she is good at. And we connect that to God. We say, honey, when you just get up and decide to help your sisters and you do that, it makes a unique impact on them. And we tell her, God gave you that ability. Do you speak blessings over your kids? Or do you just tell them to go places and do things? And I know, I understand it's hard, especially we've been locked down, your hair's pulling out, right? That's what happened to me right before this. I had all the hair, but it's not anymore. I understand how that goes, but speak blessings with kids. What about at work? Do you speak blessing at work? If you have a culture that is backbiting and if you have a culture that is, that is mean and negative, do you go to your job and to your work and do you speak blessing to people and do you point to God at work in your office and maybe you go, oh my gosh, God isn't at work here on this. What I would say to you is you are wrong. He is. That's why you're there. What if we become speakers of blessing? See, it, fa- it takes faith to speak blessing in a world that curses. The world curses. The world says everything's done and it's a black hole. It takes faith to believe that God is still at work in our jobs, in our nation, in our politics, in our relationships, in our children, in our marriage. Is your marriage in hard times? What if you just start verbally speaking blessings to your spouse? And you may have to work hard. You didn't leave as much hardened food on the plate when you put it in the dishwasher last night. That's wonderful. Thank you for that. Whatever it is, begin to speak blessings over your family. Let me just tell you as a husband, wives, when my wife, and my wife is is pretty good at this, when my wife uses her words to tell me how I positively impact my home, it makes a difference. It makes me want to be better. See, faith seeks God's hand and blessing. We don't just say whatever we want. We speak what God is doing. Abraham's faith impacted Isaac. Isaac's faith now has impacted Jacob. And again, Jacob was a sorry character, but he was good at one thing, and that was having kids. Verse 21, by faith, Jacob, when he was dying, he blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshiped as he leaned on the top of his staff. Jacob uh, had 12 sons and some daughters in there to boot. He had two wives, a concubine. You know, there was, there was a, lot, a lot there going on. But Jacob, who had seen um, Isaac bless him, we skipped at Genesis chapter 49. Jacob is about to die. And Jacob in verse 1 of chapter 49 says, Jacob called his sons and he said, gather around so that I can tell you what will happen to you in days to come. And just like Isaac spoke a blessing over Jacob, Jacob now goes and speaks a blessing, a unique, a special. He saw God's hand in each of his kids and some of them are awesome and some of them are, 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 are difficult, but child by child, son by son, he goes down the list and he gives a blessing to each of his kids. And now we get to verse 33 of chapter 49 and verse 32 says, when Jacob had finished giving instructions to his son, he drew his feet up into the bed and breathed his last and was gathered to his people. And the writer in Hebrews tells us that he worshiped. He was close to his bed and he's leaning on his staff. And as he's blessing, this blessing to his kids is worship. And it's worship because worship is just recognizing who God is and acknowledging. And so when he went down the line and he looked at Reuben, his son, and he said, God has made you. 
And God is going to give you. And he looked at Simeon and he looked at Judah and he looked at Issachar. He looked at son by son and child by child. God is involved in your life and God is involved in your story and God has a plan for you and yours is gonna look different than yours and it's gonna be different and yours is gonna be hard because of decisions that you've made and choices you made. Yours is gonna be hard, but God is gonna be with you and God is gonna be in there and God is gonna be a part of it and Jacob sees that as worshiping and so Jacob is worshiping. He's not, you know, he doesn't have, you know, the Michael W. Smith. He doesn't have, you know, you know whatever the, the song is in the background with his hands raised, but he's worshiping in front of his children. And that becomes the culture and the context and the blessing of his family. And that's what worship does. Worship saturates our relationships. When we worship, it is a blessing to our families. Whatever it is. Now, here's the thing. You may say, oh, well, I don't worship. You worship something. Something in your life. So we were created to worship. Nature abhors a vacuum. We as humans, we abhor non-worship. There is something in our life that is first. There is something in our life that we say no to other things so that we can say yes to. You may worship your reason. You may worship science. You may worship football. You may worship your spouse or your child. You may worship your job. You may worship the dollar. You may worship, you worship something. There is something in your life that if it were taken away from you, it would devastate and it would destroy you more than anything else. That is the thing that you worship. Jacob, as shady a character as he was, worshiped father in front of his children. See, like I said, we're badly broken and we're deeply loved. We only get to worship as shady characters. But God accepts our worship. And because Jacob worshiped in front of his children, those kids grew on to become the nation of Israel who would form the temple who God would bring his system, the law, to teach people how to worship. And ultimately from them, Jesus would come. And Jesus is the one through whom we worship today. See, Jacob's faith to worship became a legacy. So here's the thing for us. There's this wrong idea that worship and religion is a private matter. It's not a private matter at all. What I can tell you for certain is if you worship only privately, <clears throat> your children won't worship at all. If your children don't see you worship, they won't worship. When I grew up, uh, I was growing up. My grandfather was a pastor. My mom was the godliest person I've ever known. I was in church all the time. My parents made me go, just like as a condition of living in their house. And you might say, oh, well, I don't feel like I can do that. Yes, you can. I, and let me just tell you real quick, I, I, I didn't want to go. I didn't like it. I was a giant, fake, fraud, phony, right? My parents forced me to go. My dad didn't always go to church. My mom forced me to go. Did I hate it? Of course I hate it. But you know what else I hated? Brushing my teeth. They made me do that. You know what else I hated? Going to school. They made me do that. Part of my growing up was learning that I don't just get to do what I want to do, that there are some things that are valuable. Let me just encourage you, challenge you, tell you what to do. Frame it however you want right now. Parents, do not let faith be an option to your kids because if faith is an option to your kids, they will option out. Someone will tell them what to worship. Either you can do it or someone else will do it. See, what we worship saturates who we are. When I was growing up, 
right before we were about to have Jackson, I sat, I was, I'll never forget, I was sitting in a car with my pastor, my boss, my friend, and he had kids, and we were talking about this, and it, literally within a few days, Natalie was going to, um, we were going to have Jackson, and I just told him, I said, I, I don't have any idea what I'm doing, right? Like, they're about to give me a human being, and he's going to come home with me, and it's just going to be me. And he gave me this piece of advice that I never forget. He said, Jason, <clears throat> they will hear what you say, but they will become what you are. And that impacted me. And my prayer is that my kids will be worshipers because they see me being a worshiper. See, faith worships out loud. Faith worships visibly. Faith believes that God is here. Faith is able to worship in the darkness. Faith is able to worship in a storm because faith believes that God is here. And faith believes that the storm doesn't have the final word. And so it teaches our kids and we give our kids latitude in, in, in how they do that and what they do that, but it is a non-negotiable. Listen, we create content every week for youth and for children. It is age-appropriate. It is specific. It is good. Get your kids to watch the content. You want them to know the stories, and I promise it gets in. I promise it's valuable, and I promise it will bear fruit someday. Faith worships out loud, and it grows. And so now we see Abraham's faith. This promise that God made to Abraham has flowed through to Abraham's son, Isaac, to Abraham's grandson, Jacob, and Jacob's son, Joseph. Abraham's now great-grandchild, we read in verse 11, 22, by faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions concerning the burial of his bones. Joseph becomes the prime minister of Egypt. Great story, long story, great story. Becomes the prime minister of Egypt and his family comes to him and Jacob says, listen, you can stay here. There are about 70 people here and Joseph tells his family, listen, I'm about to die, okay? You're gonna stay here in Egypt for a long time, but listen, here's what he tells him. When I die, I want you to take my bones back. Look, in Genesis chapter 50, verse 24, Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will surely come to your aid and take you up out of this land to the land he promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's talking about faith. He believes that God said he was gonna do it. He believes that God is gonna do it. So what does he do? He gives instructions to future generations. Joseph made the Israelites swear an oath and said, God will surely come, and then you must carry my bones up from this place. He says, listen, you're gonna get out of here someday. Not you your great, great, great grandkids. Turns out it was 400 years later that the Israelites left. But you know what? The story in Exodus tells us when they left, they took Joseph's bones. You know why? Because they told the story. Because the promise that God had made, because the faith of Abraham impacted generations. So what does Joseph do? And he say, listen, first, I believe that God is going to do something. I believe that God is going to make it happen. So make sure that the future generations, faith, this faith of Joseph, what it's doing is it's considering the people that aren't even here yet. Joseph believed that what he was a part of was going to outlive him. And so he includes these future generations in the mission. So here's the question. Are we focusing on the future? Are we just locked into right now? Is the sum total of our worship experience? Well, I don't like that song. Or I wish Jason would talk about this. Or why are we doing this? Or is that doctor? Are we worried just about me here now? Or are we focusing on the future? And listen, I want to talk, I want you to, I want to talk practically about the family stuff, but not that much. Listen, the way you spend your money impacts your kids. Are you going to leave them anything other than debt? 
The way that husbands, the way that you talk to your wives is going to impact your sons because eventually their wife is going to be the woman in their life just like your wife is and they're going to take cues from you. Your daughters are going to believe that that's how they should be talked to. Mothers, your sons are going to get an idea of what a woman should look like by looking at you. Your daughters are going to know what a wife. What about at your jobs? Are you setting an example? All that's good. Be awesome at your job and in your family. But will your faith outlive you? And I want to go beyond just I hope so because I want to ask you how. What's going to make that happen? What's, where, how did you learn to get here? Will it be different? I think about us as a church. If you left the church, would we outlive you? I'm 43 years old. I've got 15 years left. Then what? Do we shutter the doors? Do we all quit and go home in 15 years because I'm done? I hope not. I hope that's not. My hope is that we will go on. But in order for us to go on, we need people like Gary, the young man that plays the guitar. Gary's a young man. I've watched his faith blossom and grow and become amazing and remarkable and spectacular. But it's our job to make sure that Gary knows that the church is a place where he can bring and use and do his best. What if 25 years ago, our parents had stopped? So the question is, will our legacy, will our faith consider people that aren't here yet? And I'm specifically talking about future generations. I'm specifically talking about our kids and our grandkids. Would a 22-year-old young man or woman tune in here and see and believe that this is a place for them? I'm grateful Ryan, Ryan's in high school, using his gifts to teach, to lead, to guide. Will we be a place that blesses the generations, that includes them in our mission? See, faith believes that God is at work now and in the future. And faith knows that it is up to us to practice faith and get on board. It is up to us to decide that we're going to be a part of what God is doing. And what God is doing is reaching people now. And what God is doing is reaching children. Do you think millennials, you can tune out, right? Do you, Gen Xers, boomers, do, do you think millennials are annoying and obnoxious? It's not about you. Who's going to teach them? And let me tell you, there are things that millennials do that are amazing and spectacular. We wouldn't be able to do this were it not for millennials. It is our job to make sure that the church is a place, not just for them to come sit, but for them to engage. Millennials, are you making the same kind of space for Gen, for the, for Gen Z? Are we creating a space where people will come and say, so how do we do that? Use your words to bless. Use your words to bless. What I mean is in every context, every place where you go, speak boldly about God. What if we quit? Hear me out. What if the church just said we're not going to talk about politics on Facebook because politics are divisive? What if we just said that? Would the world go on? What if we just said we're going to speak about God and redemption? We're just going to be a blessing place. What if? What if we said 
that when we see somebody that we know online, we're going to speak hope and life and favor? What if we go to our jobs and speak blessings? What if we go in our homes and speak blessing? Use your words to bless. What if we only speak God things? It's up to us to infuse our home with habits of faith. Pray in front of your children. Here's the hard part about praying in front of your kids. Your kids know what a schmuck you are. I know that because my kids know what a schmuck I am. But listen, badly broken meat, deeply loved means something. That resonated with our congregation so deeply when we started talking about it because we know it. We need to show our kids that as well. That even though we are broken, brokenness doesn't preclude us from prayer. It is the reason why we pray. Infuse your home with habits of faith. Do you know why we give? Do you know why the financial offering is a big deal? Because it is a practice and an exercise of faith. And River City has been very generous. During this time that you continue to give, thank you. I hope you'll continue to do that. But I believe that it's a practice and a demonstration of faith that we believe, God, you're going to continue to take care of us. Infuse your home with that and bless the generations. Here's what I would say to you. Find somebody who is 20 years younger than you. At 23 is what that number looks like for me. And get to know them. And before you get to go, yeah, I got to find a 23-year-old to go teach them everything that I know. Don't, don't do that. Invite them and say, I want you to tell me, young person, how you see the world. What do you see is going on? There'll be plenty of opportunities to talk and to share. But what if we just listen and invite them into our story? Because Jesus included us on Jesus' last night in John chapter 17, starting in verse 20. In just verse 20, Jesus was praying with his disciples and he said, my prayer is not for them alone. For his disciples only said, I also pray for those who will believe in me through their message. Jesus always knew it wasn't going to end with the disciples. He always knew it was going to be ultimately about us. The question is, will we take up that mantle as well? Will you follow him? Maybe you don't have a faith story. You didn't know you had a faith story, but you sense something inside calling you today. Will you just follow him? Just say, Jesus, I want to change the generations that have come after me. I want my children to know you and to follow you. And you may have to say right now, I don't even know what that looks like. I don't even know how to do that, but Jesus, I want to follow you. Will you do that? Take out your phone and pray this with me. Jesus, I want my children's 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 children to be different, and I want to begin sowing those seeds right now. And so I ask that you would lead me in your path. Jesus, I want to follow you. I need to be forgiven for the things that I've done, for following my own way, but I want on your path today. Please forgive me and now lead me. Come into my life. He says he'll give us his spirit to lead us. Jesus, will you give me your spirit to lead me and guide me and let my children's children's children be different because of this decision today? If you did that, take out your phone, type the word follower to the number 94000. This is a step of faith that begins with following and it changes generations and then go tell somebody about it go talk because here's the deal we are we are making a difference i don't think william brewster was thinking of me when he got on the ship in 1620 but his decisions impacted me 400 years later you are shaping generations you are either shaping them towards faith or away from faith so jesus i ask that you would give us the courage to be a blessing. You would give us the courage to use our words to speak life and not death. Healing and not brokenness. Hope 
and not despair. Thank you for joining us today. River City Church is all about experiencing and expressing God's love in our lives and community. And we hope that you've been able to experience that today. As grateful as I am that you've spent this time listening in this morning, this podcast is no substitute for full participation in a local church. I love it when River City people listen to other pastors, but it is those who show up week after week, faithfully giving their support and time and resources that make all of this possible. If we can help you get connected to a local church, pray for you, or support you in any way, click the link in the description and let us know. If you'd like to financially support the ministry of River City, click the Give link on our website in the description. Don't forget to subscribe and don't forget to share this with your friends. Thanks so much for listening. May the Lord bless and keep you in all grace and peace.